0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I have two new films to discuss today. We like to get right into it and not waste your time. So first up is Day Shift from Netflix. It stars Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, Carlos Souza, Megan Good, Natasha Lou Bordizzo, Oliver Masuki, Snoop Dogg, Steve Howie, Scott Adkins and Zion Broadnecks. It is directed by J.J. J. Perry, written by Tyler Tice and Shay Hatton. What's it about? A blue-collar dad provides for his family as a San Fernando Valley pool cleaner, which is secretly a front for a union of vampire hunters. Now, to expand just a tad bit on that extremely intriguing plot synopsis, the blue-collar dad is played by Jamie Foxx, And it's got a little bit of a family drama infused into it, but really not that much. In fact, it's kind of undercooked and weak, but it's the plot driver of the film. And that is, he is separated from his wife. His wife is kind of ready to move on, maybe move out of state. And essentially, we get set up with this situation that Jamie Foxx's character has one week to make X amount of money in order to pay for his daughter's school and some dental work. And if he can do that, then his wife will stay. His method of earning money, as I mentioned, is not really as a pool cleaner. It's as a vampire hunter. So he needs to accomplish enough vampire kills. And the way they do this is there's like this underground market for vampire teeth with different amounts of uh, cash paid out for type of vampire, age of vampire, etc. And so he's got to embark on this thing, this quest. And there's this mythology in the universe of not only different kinds of vampires, but there's this union. You can think of it like the mythology in John Wick, where the union is a place that employs different vampire hunters, you have to pay dues, they have all these strict codes and rules that must be followed. There are portraits of famous vampire hunters like Abraham Lincoln. I got a hoot out of that. And Van Helsing on the walls. And essentially, they operate in the shadows to keep the city safe. He is on the outs with the Union due to some previous disagreements and rule breaking. And what it amounts to is this buddy comedy of sorts where... Jamie Foxx teams up with Dave Franco, who is a union lackey. He's a desk jockey, behind the scenes kind of guy, doesn't want to be in the field. And so you get this, you know, hilarious playing off of each other of, you know, your kind of badass character that's out there on a mission and definitely not trying to follow the rules. He's trying to get his money. That's his priority. And then you have this other character who is essentially operating somewhat like a spy for the union leader. So it amounts to a lot of kind of hilarious moments between the two and some pretty funny dialogue. Look, the movie is not great, okay? It is pretty bad at times as far as its stupidity factor goes. And the, it can drag. It, it goes on for two hours and pr- or just under two hours and probably should have been closer to about 90 minutes. But there are a lot of things to like about this film. There is some wild fight choreography. The movie is directed by J.J. Perry, who was a martial artist and a longtime Hollywood stuntman. I think that's part of why the fight scenes are so kinetic and entertaining. It's a gnarly monster design for the vampires, and there are a lot of gory kills Specifically beheadings, tons of beheadings, lots of blood, lots of just crazy limbs going everywhere. Uh, There are gun kills, there are knife kills, there are interesting environmental kind of tactical kills. There are some cool special effects in play here where the vampires are invisible in the mirror, but yet their clothes are moving around. So I liked that. There's one particular big combat scene that felt a lot like the Dead Rising video games where you are single character fighting off hordes of zombies. One of the games especially takes place in a mall and there was a moment in this that felt a lot like that. So that was fun. Scott Adkins is in this, as I mentioned, and he, along with Steve Howie, play these eastern european brothers that have a terrible accent it's got to be on purpose it's got to be bad on purpose but they're just they crack you up i mean they're only in it for one big moment one big action scene but it's a blast when they are in there and they just kick so much ass right and it's cool to see scott adkins doing his thing in this very schlocky kind of manner The plot overall, like I said, it's just really silly. You've got vampire clans fighting for supremacy of the valley, and there are uh, hierarchy issues here. Uh, Peter Stomare also appears in the film briefly in a really kind of fun, ridiculous type of small character role. Just the perfect type of thing for him. When you see his character in this movie, you're like, yep, that's the kind of wacky character that he Is so known for, and he is perfect as Snoop is awesome in this. He looks like he is just having so much fun, and it's just the whole thing. We laughed a lot. Okay, we had a ton of fun with this, all the while understanding that the strength of the movie is that you kind of go in with super low expectations and you get to be pleasantly surprised by something that entertains you for a couple of hours. And you never have to think of again. The big takeaway I had from watching Day Shift really was that this feels like the type of movie that Netflix should be focusing on. So Day Shift or Hustle, for example, these are movies that know what they are and they're not trying to compete with the equivalent Hollywood blockbuster version of themselves themselves. So Day Shift is a lot like Zombieland, and that's probably, I would say, the best comp for it. It's not as good, in my opinion, as the original Zombieland, not as tight, but it's kind of like that. If you compare it to something like The Gray Man and Red Notice, those are humongous blockbusters with big, grade-A movie stars that Netflix is trying to compete with Hollywood, and they almost always come up short or lacking lackluster even is the right word for it. But you take something like this, it feels like it belongs on TV. It feels like you would watch this on a weekend night on Cinemax or HBO back in the day, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s. And it's kind of perfect for that just feels like that cable TV movie. This is what they're good at. And you get the fun of having an Oscar winner be a part of your movie like Jamie Foxx. So It's just a really cool blend that I think is the sweet spot of what Netflix needs to go ahead and focus their efforts on. Yes, it's disposable. Absolutely. Like, you won't think about it after it's over. You might watch it more than once, though, because it's just fun. Like, it's a movie, you know, two years later, you might be like, oh, that looks fun. I remember that. Let's watch that again. All the while understanding it is completely a average down the middle Just fine film, right? There's nothing special about it. But yeah, I would love to see Netflix kind of lean into this style of movie. I mentioned Hustle as well. The, The comp there is like, you know, they're not trying to be huge, big budget dramas. They're just small stories. And the platform is at its best when that's the direction it's heading. So anyway, we were a big fan of Day Shift. We being my teenage son and I. Thought it was a lot of fun. The union jokes make it run dry or run dry real quick. (laughs) And so it is as equally annoying at times as it is exciting. But overall, we came out on the positive side. This will be streaming on Netflix on August 12th. And yeah, we recommend it. The other film for this episode is Fall from Lionsgate. It stars Grace Caroline Curry, Virginia Gardner, Mason Gooding, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. It's directed by Scott Mann and written by Scott Mann and Jonathan Frank. What's it about? For best friends Becky and Hunter, life is all about conquering fears and pushing limits. But after they climb 2,000 feet to the top of a remote, abandoned radio tower, they find themselves stranded with no way down. Now Becky and Hunter's expert climbing skills will be put to the ultimate test as they desperately fight to survive the elements, a lack of supplies, and vertigo-inducing heights. This movie kicks off with a rock climbing sequence where one of the characters is free soloing, so it's a-okay with me. Kind of got my attention right away with that. That's something I really enjoy as far as films go, documentaries as well. It's not something I ever would do myself. I did rock climb a bit in my youth, but never free solo. And I enjoyed it, but I just love watching people do extreme sports even though it's not something that I myself would be able to accomplish at this point in my life, or I don't desire to accomplish it at this point in my life. So anyway, the movie kicks off with that, and I was immediately kind of, it was in good graces with me. As far as the plot goes, Becky is dealing with some grief and struggling to get back into the harness, so to speak. And her friend Hunter is an action junkie who is live streaming on her YouTube channel, she, quote, gets paid to do dangerous shit. And so she eventually talks Becky into climbing this tower as a means of both doing something crazy for the Gram and also giving Becky an opportunity to push through her fears of getting back into the climbing game as a way of processing some grief that she is dealing with. The Climbing sequences in the film are really good, really incredibly tight. This tower, as it's told to us, is the fourth highest structure in the US at around 2,000 feet, and you do get a sense of that scale. Now, there are times when the CGI makes it very obvious that these are not two actresses atop an actual 2,000 foot tower filming on location. But Mostly, those are passable. They're not going to take you out of the moment because the cinematography does a great job of effectively showing the height and really letting you experience through incredibly good sound design as well when they're climbing, what every little possible crack in this old tower, every loose bolt sounds and feels like. And so even knowing that it's CGI, I felt a level of anxiety that was increasing. Um, I was affected by the scale of the height of this tower. So I'll tell you right now, a warning to anyone with a serious fear of heights, if you see this in the theater, you need to be prepared. Probably most recent comparison people will be making is with Free Solo. I did not ever quite feel nearly the same as i did watching free solo in the theater in imax primarily because in free solo you're watching someone who is doing it for real and this is a fictional movie but you do get some of that intensity welling up inside of you there are many moments in this film where i was getting very nervous for the characters i would actually like cover my eyes at times not like really cover my eyes but you know like fake cover your eyes where you're looking through your fingers and i I honestly screamed no 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 oh my god out loud multiple times because they're in an impossible situation and that's what makes this intriguing i think is they get stuck here on the top of this thing and there's just almost nothing they can do to solve the problem there's very very little and so they have to get creative. And every time they try something that doesn't work, your anxiety for them is growing. There'd be times when they'd look so comfortable at the top of this tower that they wouldn't even be like holding on to the pole at the top to make sure that they didn't, I don't know, trip and fall off. And some of that became unbelievable to me at a point where it was like, all right, listen, I know that you are not on this actual tower, but you need to completely act like it at all times. because you're just a little bit too loosey-goosey up there for my taste. And maybe that's just because the characters themselves are that confident. But it made me nervous, and and so that was effective in a sense. But it also was a little bit off-putting in a way that I thought it became unrealistic. Um, As for the primary plot, I think that the movie suffers from some melodrama and some poor acting at times. Especially when Becky is grieving, it's just completely ridiculous to me. I never once felt the kind of emotional attachment to these characters that I think the movie wants you to feel. And so everything that surrounds the reasoning for them being up there, it kind of fell flat on me, honestly. There are some surprise plot reveals that I think are a little ridiculous. Over the top for this, there's one big story surprise that I think will be very divisive as well and really impact how much people enjoy it in the end. There's some sound mix issues with dialogue where when the characters are at the top of the tower, they are whispering or mumbling with the wind is blowing, and I found it nearly impossible to hear them. I had to crank up the volume, which would then blow out the speakers any anytime the actual sound came back and so or the the score came back and so it's not the best put together film it's also really interestingly a movie that was filmed originally to be r and they needed to kick it down to pg-13 because this was made on about a three million dollar budget and in order to make any money in theaters it needs to be accessible And so they used some sort of AI audio product to change the F word 30 times or so into something else. And it's very obvious because at the top of the tower, there's one specific moment where one of the characters says, we're stuck on this stupid freaking tower in the middle of freaking nowhere. And you can tell that's not what the character would say. Right. Or what the character was saying based on just how she is. That was a little bit obvious, but at the same time, it doesn't take away from the enjoyable parts of the film. So overall, I think I'm very mixed on this. I enjoyed it though, and I'm glad I watched it. I love me a single location thriller, and this manages to get enough out of its concept to be entertaining while also never really. Pun intended, elevating that formula into anything special whatsoever. I think perhaps this being a director who doesn't quite understand the message of his movie either, that's a little bit of an issue for me. There's a quote in this where one of the characters says, If you're scared of dying, don't be afraid to live, which is interesting on one hand, but there's something about this that doesn't sit well one of the characters is really pushing someone else to get through her fear and it's almost like the movie wants you to think that this is acceptable but honestly at what point is doing dangerous stuff not smart maybe fear is a good thing and maybe your real friends don't push you to do things that can make you die And there's no motivational speech or amount of I'm proud of you's that can change that because of the risk that they're encouraging you to take to push through this block. There are healthier ways to do that. And I feel like maybe this movie is trying to say the opposite and is trying to get you to believe that this is almost what happens to them is basically worth it. Because of the end result, psychologically speaking, uh, emotionally speaking. So anyway, yeah, I just, again, I know it sounds like I'm conflicted and that's because I am. I had fun with it, but it's definitely not something I would ever think is going to stand out in the genre for me. Outside of just the super cool element of getting to see them in the moment of trying to problem solve and get down from the tower. When it's doing that, it's really enjoyable. Everything else around it, not always so much. Fall will be in theaters on August the 12th. My recommendation is that if you like that sweaty feeling you get from movies that give you vertigo or kind of show you this sort of intensity with their cinematography choices, then yeah, you should definitely check it out in a theater because you're going to get that in spades here. Also, if you like single location thrillers, I mean it's a decent one. It's enjoyable. So it's worth checking out. Just go in with expectations in check and don't think that you're going to get a masterpiece because you're definitely not. But yeah, it's got potential. And and I think that most people will come out feeling similar to me, which is slightly overall on the positive side. Well, that's it for this week on FF Plus. As always, hopefully one of the films that I've talked about will resonate with you, or I will give you some information that will aid in your decision-making. If you do see any of the movies that we talk about on the show, let us know. You can find me on social media at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You can find me in the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group as well. I love to chat. Come follow me. Come talk. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review and some kind words on your podcast app of choice. That always helps out as well. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.